0: Today on Spillin' the Syrup, we are going to chat about mental health. It is a pleasure to have Larry Sprung as our guest host this week. We are going to chat about mental health and we just finished November or Movember and this is important because this month is where we raise awareness about men's mental health issues and we should be thinking about this 12 months in the year. We are going to be getting you thinking about and seeing different perspectives and experiences of others as we get into the very important work that Larry does. My goal for this episode is to give you some valuable takeaways on mental health and make you reflect on your overall well-being and how to talk about and have conversations about mental health. Larry hosts the Midland Money Mindset podcast, where listeners learn how to plan successfully financially for their best life. And recently, he was on CNBC, talking about money and parenting. Hi, Larry, and thanks for being on Spilling the Syrup.
1: Hey, Ryan, it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, thanks for having me on. And I I agree with what you said in the open. We have to learn how to have open and honest conversations about mental health, men, women, everybody. You know, we got to knock down the stigma and, and be able to have those conversations. So thanks for having me to talk about that.
0: Oh, thank you, and I totally agree, and we're going to get into that. Before we start, I just want to ask you, where are you based? Yeah, so I'm located on uh, Long Island in New York, and uh, I've been
1: out here for the last about 25 years or so.
0: Okay, very good. I like New York. I've never been to Long Island, but I would like to, so that's amazing. Come during the summer. It's beautiful out here. (laughs) Okay, yeah, very good. I will take you up on that recommendation. I want to chat with you about one of your greatest passions, mental health. Why is it something close and personal to you?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's been something that's been close and personal to me since 2004. Dates back to when my wife and I lost my brother in law, her brother, my brother in law to suicide. And uh, he unfortunately had a uh, battle with bipolar disorder, had some mental health struggles, and unfortunately eventually died by suicide. And, you know, since that point in time, Uh, We've become staunch advocates in sharing his story in an effort to get others uh, like yourself and other people who are listening to have a conversation around mental health and, uh, you know, in an effort to not have my brother, my brother-in-law go quietly and uh, share his story, our story, and have others be able to speak up openly and honestly about mental health.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for being so open about that. I think a lot of people that listen to this will relate to that. And I couldn't imagine that's a lot to go through. I've had friends that have experienced loss that way, and I've never had it directly so close to home, but I've seen it throughout my life. And so I want to ask you, how did this affect you? Yeah, so
1: I mean, I think initially... It was an interesting dynamic because, you know, I, I knew he was struggling. I knew he had issues. One of the uh, the last conversations that I had with him, I remember very vividly, we were planting a couple of trees in my backyard and he was helping me out. And uh, it was just he and I. And he looked at me and said, you know, I'm running out of time. And I, I looked at him and you got to understand at the time, you know, he was in his mid to late 20s, real healthy physically fit, went to the gym almost daily and, you know, was a built guy, handsome, good looking guy. And I I said to him, I said, what do you mean you're running out of time? And, you know, he was also in a situation where he was, his employer was very empathetic to his situation, giving him the time and the resources that he needed to work on himself and, and get himself right. He had moved back home and was living with, my in-laws and, you know, basically all, all things considering he really had nothing to run out of time about. Everybody was giving him the space and, and what he needed to work on his situation and get his mental health in, in order. But he looked at me and said, you know, you don't understand. And I said, I don't, he said, I wake up every day and it feels like I have 104 fever and I have the flu. And I was like, you know, that I don't understand that. And he felt like he was running out of time because he would try different methods and medications and different, uh, you know, processes. And it just wasn't giving him that relief. So, you know, from that point, you know, and after his passing, one of the things that I said to my wife was, you know, I never realized, ultimately I did, but I didn't realize that having a mental health issue could ultimately end up in his, you know, in his demise and his death. And that was a really shocking thing to me. I had never experienced anybody at that point close to me that had died by suicide. I had heard stories and whatnot. But really the effect that had come out of that, because we were so supportive of him throughout the process, we were willing and able to do whatever we needed to do to work and help him get healthy. My wife went to doctor's appointments, went to the psychiatrist with him. We were helping him with medication management. We were even at one point looking for a possible location where he could go for treatment. So we were very involved with it. So the impact on us was really kind of keeping a commitment and a promise to him that, you know, he wasn't going to go quietly and we were going to do whatever was needed to raise awareness about mental health, mental health struggles, whether it was raising money, raising awareness, or just kind of learning the system a little bit better so that if people came to us, we could be a resource. And that's kind of what the outcome has been over the years since his passing. My wife and I collectively uh, with a great community of people that have surrounded us through business and through Golf outings that we had run for about 10 years, and more recently, we've connected with a community of romance authors that every May, they donate a portion of their proceeds from their book sales to my brother-in-law's memorial fund, which we created after his passing. And in this past year, we had about 35 plus authors that have taken part and they're a great community and they've been very supportive. And throughout all this help, we've been able to raise in excess of about $1.7 million for the cause you know, which is fantastic. And I talk often about the fact that as good as that is, and as important as the money is, more importantly than that, my wife has, and I have become resources in the community and for people that we know, and they've come to us for assistance and guidance on how to maybe navigate the system a little bit better. And more importantly than the money has been the fact that we've successfully steered people to a point where they've gotten help and you know, we've saved lives, which, you know, I'll give away the 1.7 million to save lives any day of the week. And that's been really rewarding. Yeah. And then I've also become involved on a national level with American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, which happens to be one of the leaders in mental health and suicide prevention space. I've been involved with that organization for about 15 years or so, I've watched it grow from about a $6 million budget organization to almost a $50 million budget organization. And there's some good news, bad news there, right? We've had tremendous growth we've had the ability to support a lot more resources over those years. But at the same time, I would have liked to say that we'd be out of business by now, but that's not the case. So that's how we reacted. You know, in our view, it was to make sure that we told his story, we told our story and, you know, made it more comfortable for others to potentially do the same and or find the help and guidance that they needed.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's, Amazing. The fact that you turned a tragedy and a hard time into something positive that you can give back to others. And that is a hefty sum of money. Like that is huge. Like you are a hero for doing that. And I think it's fair to say, when it comes to mental health, and when it comes to stigma, we go to the doctor for other things like Something is wrong with our legs. Something is wrong with our heart. The brain is an organ that functions just the same, as in something can go wrong with it. And treatment sometimes doesn't respond the way we like. And as you mentioned, having to battle through it and losing the battle to it. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, I equate it to
1: I I lost my mom at a very young age at 47 to cancer, right? And she was ill, you know, back in the 80s, let's say, right? And back then, cancer was a much different animal than it is today. We we know a lot more today than we do about cancer. And, you know, I, I have two comparisons. One is the fact that, you know, my mom lost friends back in the eighties when she had cancer because people were like unsure of whether or not they could catch it, whether or not they could, you know, communicate it from being around her. And then the other thing is. You know, in terms of mental health, you know, it you look at somebody with cancer, if they're going through chemotherapy or whatever their ailment is, if it's physical in nature, you could see physically something's wrong with that person. With with mental health, it's not that way. They could look like my brother-in-law, good looking, handsome guy, well built, goes to the gym every day. And maybe they're just not right. Maybe they're not a hundred percent. And I I think you're exactly right. I think we have to start looking at. You know, I I I never understood when you talked about health insurance, for example, why it doesn't cover your brain or your teeth or your eyes for some reason. I, I don't know why. They're all part of us, but health insurance doesn't cover that stuff. And I think it's important that people understand that mental health, if you have a mental health issue, it doesn't mean that it's going to be something there that's permanent from this point on, right? We all experience different things in our lives, tragedies and happiness and It really comes down to how do we as individuals process and deal with those events in our lives? You and I, potentially, Ryan, we could have a devastating event take place in our lives, and I process it one way, you process it another. You can have no mental health event from that, and I could. I could go into a depression from it. It's really just the way I process it. And I think what we have to do is really impress upon people that If you're having a mental health struggle, it's not something necessarily that has to be permanent. It could be just a period of time that you're going through this issue. You seek help and could get it remedied or rectified. But at the same time, if you leave it there lingering, it could end up festering and fostering itself into a more permanent thing, just like any other health issue we have, right? you have a health issue, you ignore it, you don't go to the doctor, it's just going to get worse. Same thing here. I think we just have to open up that conversation and make people feel more comfortable to go seek that advice and guidance to help them through those, uh, those issues.
0: Yeah, definitely. Some really great points there and advice. And I think of one you were talking about, the late Robin Williams and how he was so funny on the outside and portrayed this, but he was really suffering on the inside. And that's what you mentioned, is it's not always clear to people what they're seeing and what the person is experiencing are two different things. You also mentioned about something that I want to get into now, perfect segue, and that is answering this question about how do we take better care of ourselves?
1: Yeah, I think that you have to take care of yourself in a way that, you know, you understand what your situation is and and what your mental state is. And there are a number of things, obviously, that always can lead and and are probably staples when it comes to keeping your mental health in check or or healthy, if you will, right? You know, we all can get on a scale and check our weight, right? And then it kind of leads us to exercise and diet. Unfortunately, we don't have that necessarily check. There are some check things out there. There are some organizations that have mental health checks where you can take a look and see how your mental health has stayed or changed over time. I think, you know, some of the staples are, you know, eating right is a big thing to maintaining that mental health exercise. And I think you have to find out what works for you. Some people, meditation may work. Any form of it, you know, some even a short period of time may work. Planning out your day, gratitude journal, you know, these are just non-medical ways of kind of keeping your mental health in, in check and in queue so that you don't end up having a, an event. But, you know, those are some things. And I think that really ultimately what you need to do is if you notice a change in yourself or you notice a change in somebody else, right, you have to encourage them to seek the help that they need that could ultimately get them back on the right track, because it may not be a permanent thing, right? They may have a situation that they don't know how to work through it, and it's causing them mental grief and mental strife. And if they have somebody to kind of bounce those ideas off of, and it may be a medical practitioner if it's bad or, you know, somewhat severe, or it could be just a friend or family member that they can bounce ideas off of and talk through their situation. But, you know, I'm not a doctor, but you want to, you know, and I don't want to give medical advice, but you want to be aware of your situation. And there are certain things that you could be doing on a daily basis to help improve and keep your mental health in order. And they're very easy and and not, you know, no medical issues with taking medicines or things of that nature. And then you have to be able to recognize if there's something a little bit greater than that, you have to be able to be willing and able to seek the advice and guidance to, To get you right on track
0: yeah definitely and you mentioned the fact that you're not a doctor but i would certainly argue that you have valuable experience and this is definitely your field of expertise and you mentioned something interesting that i had thought about and that was mindfulness and something that i tried to have in my life is gratefulness and gratitude and you also mentioned trauma and all i couldn't think too is life is hard. Like Life is the beautiful and bad things happen. and And it is how we deal with that and internalize that trauma. So I think that's actually a great point to mention. And you yourself, you are a certified financial planner. What do you do for your own mental health when your work life gets busy or hectic?
1: Yeah. So I mean, there's always things. So I have a process that I go through almost daily where You know, the first thing that I do in the morning for me is I I write one thing that I'm grateful for. I then write something that I believe what I'm going to do today in order to keep order and balance in my life. And then I also chart out what are the things that I need to do today? What are the most what's the most important thing? What am I going to do for fun and what am I going to do for enjoyment? And then what are the other items I need to get done today? Right. Right. So, those are the things that I kind of look at first thing in the morning. That works for me. And then on super stressful days, I I probably exercise more than I normally would. My outlet of choice happens to be a Peloton, come from and play hockey pretty frequently, but I don't get out there on the ice as much as I can. So, if I can't skate and I know I'm not skating, I hop on the Peloton. Maybe instead of doing a normal 30 minutes, I'll do 45 minutes. And that has a tendency to make me feel better. For that day, so you know I try I, I think that although I'm in what people would consider more of a high stress environment and profession, I'm mindful of that and really take steps in order to make sure that I'm doing whatever I can to release as much of that stress as possible and make it a lot easier on myself
0: Yeah, yeah definitely exercise definitely something I like to do is going for walks. Definitely. Also, I like self-care. I like baths and spas and pamper yourself a little bit, especially you. You've earned it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I wish I could. I'm not a massage guy or an acupuncture guy. My mind's always moving a lot of time. So I I lay there on the uh, I, I've gone for massages. I've laid down and all I keep thinking about is when's this going to be over because I got a million other things to do. So I haven't figured out how that works. So, you know, again, I know that that's not really a great thing for me. I mean, I know fundamentally it is, but at the same time, it's not something that helps me in the way that I would need that help, where it helps a lot of other people. So you got to find what works for you and kind of stick with it, right?
0: Yeah, that's just real talk and that's normal. What is the impact of mental health issues in your community, your local community that you see?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it affects everywhere, right? I mean, you know, mental health can have an impact and and cause people to do things that they ordinarily wouldn't do, has globally not, you know, and you could break this down on the local community level also, globally, it has an effect on, on working, right? You know, there's, I think, somewhere in the billions of dollars of lost productivity due to mental health issues, So that all boils down to the local level in our community is not any different than any other community in in that regard. There's always those issues. You know, I think there are certain areas that are problematic. You know, youngsters, obviously, we just were notified about two weeks ago that there was a 15-year-old in our community that died by suicide. Terrible story. They were a baseball player, high pressure at 15 to play ball and go to the next level. And you know, these are things that you have to be mindful of with our kids and our children. And I think the mediums that we have out there, right, we, we've we had clients, for example, mention to us saying that, you know, there's a lot more bad news out there today than there was 20 years ago. Pick, pick your number of years. It really doesn't matter. And my answer to them really is I, I don't think there's any less or more bad news than there was even 100 years ago. I think the difference is the news was the same, right? But the difference is the medium by which this information has now gotten out to people, right? Before newspapers, people didn't even know or hear about it unless they saw it with their own eyes. Then newspapers came out and there was this wider distribution where people heard about news. Then you had television, which became more distribution of that bad news. Then you had the internet, which started... Putting out news 24 7. Now you have social media where it's put out there. So I don't think that the amount of bad news necessarily has changed. I just think the amount of the same bad news, the ability for us to see it more quickly, the ability for us to see more people reporting it, whether, you know, again, you know, we could argue whether it's true, false, fake news, not fake, but we're being inundated with this, which is the point, good and bad news. And that's really where the point comes. And I think the community level, you know, especially with our youngsters, that's something we have to be very mindful of and very on top of because I think that this yep. is having an impact on our on our kids and we have to be careful about what it means going forward for them. So there are a lot of impacts and it's just a matter of working our way through it and figuring out how to handle them appropriately. And some of those are going to be decided on a community level, some of those on an individual household level, how they want to handle and and address those situations. Because you know, hearing about a 15-year-old that has died by suicide is something that none of us want to hear about, for sure.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with all your points. Just the fact that I think social media is toxic in an environment where young people sort of gravitate towards it. And at 15, you're feeling so anxious and overwhelmed and feel like you can't take the pressure and being in sport is not something that you should feel at 15. You're supposed to feel like you have your whole life ahead of you and have this optimism and to enjoy your life. So that's really hard to hear that those pressures are being placed on our young people.
1: The important piece there is that we have to instill upon our 15 year olds or any youngsters, you know, whatever, any person, period. I think that we think we have to instill on them is it it may be difficult for us to remove a lot of those pressures. I think they're going to be there, whether it's from outside forces or themselves. I think the important thing to educate people on is that if, and when you start feeling those feelings of despair or depression or things that you can reach out for help because that, you know, you may be feeling the pressure. That's fine. That's natural. But, you know, for, for somebody to get to a point where they don't feel like there's an end to that, That's where the problem lies. And I think we have to encourage them to be able to find the help and assistance they need to maybe help them work through it or figure out coping mechanisms in order to take some of that pressure off of them.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think that's a great takeaway. So I want to sort of expand on that if we can. So, how do we reduce the stigma? How do we support someone that's having mental health issues? And these are things that you've kind of been mentioning throughout this episode already. There's a lot of ways, right? I think we, you know, having conversations like this
1: is certainly helpful. You know, we have to see more of these types of conversations for sure and make it more mainstream, right? I think the other thing that we have to do is the fact that we've seen some well known people come out and start having conversations about their own struggles, like the Michael Phelps of the world, some of the NFL players, some of the NHL players that we've seen come out. You know, Robin Leonard is is a great advocate in the NHL community talking about mental health and he's been very upfront and forthright about his own struggles. I think, you know, having people that we look up to or the community of people look up to is helpful because it kind of, you know, makes people think, well, listen, if they're going through that and they were able to get help, then you know what, I should be able to get help also. I was talking earlier to a friend of mine, uh, his name is Eric Cusin. He started an organization called We're All a Little Crazy, and crazy is in quotes. And he started that organization, and you know, he came from a marketing background in athletics. And one of the things he said is, if you look at a lot of the materials surrounding mental health, it talks about you know, one in five, for example, suffer a mental health illness or, or issue. He said, we have to change that whole conversation around. And I agree with him. He goes, we have to start, you know, presenting it as five in five, because most of us are going to have some kind of mental health issue or struggle at some point in our lives. We shouldn't be focusing on the one in five, because then it makes you think, well, you know what, four other people are okay. You know, maybe I'm okay too. Maybe I don't need help. But if we start, you know, positioning it in such a way that five in five have a mental health struggle at some point, find help. I think that's helpful too, kind of lowering the stigma and having people start understanding and realizing that they're not alone, that everybody has these feelings and thoughts at some point in time, you know, but at the same time, if your thoughts and feelings are going to the next level, then you certainly have to start looking for outside assistance and even medical help. And again, going back to what we said earlier, it doesn't have to be something that you're on a medication or you're in treatment for the rest of your life. It may be just something for a short time, giving you coping skills or a methodology for dealing with what you're going through. Because listen, there are traumatic things going on in all of our lives, and you know we're not all wired to deal with them in a way that we're not going to get anxious, depressed, or have some kind of other mental struggle associated with it. That's another piece. And the last piece is you have to be able to reach out to other people. And you as a person have to be able to interject if you see somebody who is having an issue, right? If you see a friend... You know, a lot of times you might be concerned because you don't want to ruin the friendship because you might be wrong, right? But why are we thinking that we're going to ruin the friendship if we're wrong? If we're all having mental health struggles, it's really just the standpoint of I'm checking in on you, right? I want to make sure, listen, you've been acting weird, saying some weird things. You know what? We're great friends, so I feel comfortable enough and I'm willing to risk our friendship to make sure you're okay. I think there's, you know, something to be said, and it's totally fine to say, hey, is everything okay, and making sure to check in, and uh, maybe it is, maybe everything's okay, and you misread the situation, okay, or maybe it's not, and maybe now you've created an outlet for that person to have a conversation. So I think all those things together will help us reduce the stigma. That's what it's all about in order to have more of these types of conversations and make it more normalized as it should be to have these conversations and seek help when and if it's needed.
0: I think you are super empathetic and able to put yourself in other people's shoes, which is such a a huge thing to be able to do. And you're right. I think as a friend, it is kind of your duty to be like, well, I think so as a friend, I'm going to, I'm trying to help you like that is important. I think we need more of that, definitely. And I honestly, I couldn't have said that better myself. But I want to ask you, what is the most positive change that you've seen from the memorial fund?
1: Yeah. So I mean there have been so many change from the uh, you know, the Keith Milano Moral Fund is really a fund that's established at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So, you know, we use it for items or things that are taking place at AFSP. A couple of the things right out of the gate was, you know, kind of what I was talking about before is we help fund what's called the seize the awkward campaign, which is seizing that awkward situation. You're with a friend, they're saying something the campaign, and it's, it's very heavily promoted on Instagram because it's really focused to younger people. The idea behind the campaign is, you know, if there's an awkward situation, seize it, don't worry about chancing a friendship. Take the chance because you might end up saving a life. So that's been tremendous to see that in action and how that's been received by our youngsters on uh, Instagram. We've also helped fund some scientific research studies, which have been helpful to the cause, whether it's been the study of bipolar disorder or some other things, uh, some other ailments. We've also had deployed funds to a video that was made on bipolar disorder. We've also helped fund a high school film that's shown to high schoolers. And again, going back to what I said earlier, I think the biggest impact that we've seen is because my wife and I have gone through this and people see us as a resource in the community, you know, we get calls from people quite frequently that this is going on with my son, my daughter, my grandson, my granddaughter, What? What and where can I go, you know? And I had a situation with a good friend of mine who I've known for years. He had a problem with one of his nephews, okay? Came to me in confidence, told me what was going on. I can't help him, but I steered him in the direction of an organization that I felt could. And his nephew ended up being hospitalized for a week or two. He got some treatment and, you know, he's still alive today because of that. And he didn't have to go back. He had a short stint, had some treatment, figured out some coping mechanisms, worked with the doctor and got back on track. And I think that that's a great situation and, and a good example. So, I mean, I, I can't even pinpoint one specific thing we've done and been able to do so much between the money we've raised and the platform. That it's been phenomenal and, and very rewarding. And we've definitely fulfilled the promise of not letting him go quietly. In this day and age now, we're, you know, 17 years later, my wife and I talk very frequently about. How we you know we kind of dream and think about how my brother in law would feel in today's environment if it would be any different for him knowing and seeing all of the impact that has taken place over the last seventeen years in regards to more people talking about it. We're not there yet, you know fully, but we've come a long way in the last seventeen years and seeing people some of the stars that have come out, athletes, et cetera, if that would have changed his view, because he always felt like this was something that was just happening to him and nobody else. So that's a conversation. But, you know, through the fund, we've done a lot of great things. And I can't really say that this is the one thing that we want to hang our hat on. It's really just the collection of everything. And I think because of the fund, we've met some really great people. As I mentioned to you earlier, we couldn't have raised that kind of money on our own. We have a great community that has been really supportive in helping us in raising the money, awareness, and everything else that we're doing, which is very, very
0: kudos to them. Yeah, I think his memory is absolutely being honored. And I think what's clear to me is one of the biggest successes that you have is the cross appeal. You mentioned the high school doing the video for the high schoolers. And you just, you have every demographic and you have a strategy and it's, it's so organic and natural. And I think it's only going to continue to grow and be successful. And I honestly, I'm, I'm so inspired and I think you will get there in whatever endeavors that you do.
1: Well, Ryan, I appreciate that. And I hope in 10 years, you and I can't speak or, uh, you know, don't have to speak on this topic. And, you know, there's no stigma and people are, you know, people have a methodology for going for their annual physical and getting themselves checked out physically and mentally and, and making sure that everything's working properly. And when they do go awry, they, they seek the help that they need to get back on track. And this is just a, a moot point.
0: Thank you. And Larry, where can people find you outside of this podcast? So I mentioned you have a podcast, the Midland Money Mindset Podcast. Where else can people go either to find you or find resources or just places that you'd like, things that you'd like to tell people, places that you'd like to direct people's attention to our listeners?
1: Yeah. So as you said, I have the podcast. We're at com, which is uh, M-I-T-L-I-N. If they need resources with regard to mental health and suicide prevention, I would suggest they go to AFSP, org, which is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Tons of resources for people who are struggling, survivors, and if worst case scenario, they need resources and can't find them, they could call me directly or find me. I'm on every social media platform there is. Most of them, except for TikTok, I should say. My business doesn't allow me to be on there as of yet. Wealth management, we're very regulated. On most social media platforms, you can find me at Lawrence Sprung. The only one Instagram, I'm at Larry underscore Sprung. So if you need to find me, you will be able to find me. Just reach out and uh, I'd be happy to direct you into the right place and help you in any way I can.
0: Perfect. And we can include some of those links in the episode description. Thanks again so much, Larry, for talking to me today. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate your time and appreciate you having this conversation with your listeners. Thank you. You as well. And tune in next time for more new topics where we spill some syrup. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks. Bye.